Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that's better. That's better than the last couple of weeks. You're awake. You're awake. Must be all that Thanksgiving food that you had a couple days ago. It's good to see all of you. Good to have those of you joining us from your homes this morning. Uh, before we get into the message this morning, a couple things. First of all, I want to thank uh, all the folks uh, that came and put up the Christmas decorations. Thank you, Marty, for heading it up. Thank all of you who came Friday morning and uh, put these up. Beautiful. Uh, second, don't forget, gals, about the uh, Christmas dinner for the uh, women's ministry this Thursday night. So you've you got to get signed up today, okay? It's this Thursday, December the 1st. And speaking about Christmas and coming into December, of course, this is the last Sunday of November, uh, I want to mention this, and it's been on a slide, if you've been paying attention to the slides before the services, but uh, don't forget about our sort of adjusted holiday schedule. Uh, every year, we do not meet the last two Wednesdays of the year, so like this year, we will not meet on the 21st or the 28th for our midweek service. So you need to make sure you mark that down if, you're, uh, if you come out uh, on Wednesday nights. And then because Christmas uh, is on Sunday this year, we will not be having services on Christmas Day. We are just encouraging all of you to come Saturday night, which is Christmas Eve, to our Christmas Eve candlelight service at 7 o'clock. Then the next Sunday, obviously, if Sunday's Christmas, that means the next Sunday is New Year's Day, and we will be having a service that day, but instead of two services that day, we're just going to have one at 10 o'clock. So again, that slide's been up, but I just want to start saying it out loud so that all of us can sort of start wrapping our minds around the uh, adjusted holiday schedule. We're doing a series through the Gospel of Luke called The Story of Jesus. And uh, we're going to be in a passage today where we're going to see Jesus doing many things at the same time. That's who Jesus is. He's amazing. He can do a multiplicity of things at the very same time. He's going to be continuing to teach and train his disciples. He's going to be ministering and and all these different things that he's going to be doing uh, in the same time frame. Uh, but he is primarily in this passage, because we're in sort of this section of, of the Gospel of Luke, he is primarily developing disciples, training them, teaching them, uh, instilling in them the things that they're going to need, especially after he goes back to heaven after his resurrection. One of the things that I want us to note is that Jesus never lowers the standard to be a disciple of his. The only thing you and I need to become a Christian, a child of God, is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. But as I've said from the beginning of this series, every disciple is a Christian. That's how you got to get started. But every Christian is not a disciple. And Jesus has a very high standard for those who choose to follow him as a disciple. And we're going to see that that standard is never lowered. 
God doesn't lower the standard to be a disciple just to include more people. Jesus was never about attracting the biggest crowd. Jesus was about developing a group of people that truly wanted to pursue him and go after him with everything they had because he has two basic reasons in mind for that. One, it's only when we follow him as a disciple do we discover in our lifetime who he created us to be in all of our fullness. And secondly, it is those who are truly dedicated and committed disciples that make the greatest impact in the world while we're here. So that's why the Great Commission isn't go out and make Christians of all nations. It's go out and make disciples of all nations. Jesus has always been about being a disciple. He loves when people come to him in salvation. He loves that. But the goal isn't that we stay there. The goal is that we move from simply being a Christian to becoming a disciple. With that said, I want to do something a little bit different than I normally do. I want you to follow along with me as I read the passage today and as sort of we walk with Jesus through this passage this morning. And then I'm going to lay my Bible aside and I want to share with you some of the things that God laid on my heart as I have been immersing myself in this passage uh, in the last couple of months. And as we move through this passage again, just think of it that you and I are right there with the disciples, we're just walking with Jesus through this particular time frame when he was here on earth. Uh, I've got to remember, too, when I say open your Bibles, that really nowadays I, I've got to get out of that mindset because most of you, you're not carrying your Bible, you're carrying your phone. And your Bible now is on your phone, so I get that. So just follow along with me with whatever device you're using, okay? We're going to begin in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to begin at verse 28. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became very bright, a brilliant white. Then two men, Moses and Elijah, began talking with him. They appeared in glorious splendor and spoke about his departure that he was about to carry out at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those with him were quite sleepy, but as they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Then as the men were starting to leave, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. As he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So they kept silent and told no one at that time anything of what they had seen. Now on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Then a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions and causes him to foam at the mouth. 
It hardly ever leaves him alone, torturing him severely. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Jesus answered, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and endure you? Bring your son here. As the boy was approaching, the demon threw him to the ground and shook him with convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Then they were all astonished at the mighty power of God. But while the entire crowd was amazed at everything Jesus was doing, he said to his disciples, take these words to heart. For the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. Its meaning had been concealed from them so that they could not grasp it. Yet they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Now an argument started among the disciples as to which of them might be the greatest. But when Jesus discerned their innermost thoughts, he took a child, had him stand by his side, and said to him, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the one who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not a disciple along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him. As they went along, they entered a Samaritan village to make things ready in advance for him. But the villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were walking along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have dens. The birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said to another, follow me. But he replied, well, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as, you, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I want to begin this morning with the appearance, actually, of Moses and Elijah with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to do so for this reason. Especially at this time of year, those of us who have lost family and friends who are now in heaven. The holidays are especially sort of an acute time of, of missing them and, and all of that. I mean, that's just normal. I, I get that. My family's up in heaven. I want to encourage you today, though, with the appearance of Moses and Elijah in this regard. If you have a family member or a friend who's already gone to be with Jesus, note what the Bible says about Moses and Elijah. First of all, note that they were in a body. They were not some disembodied spirit just floating around somewhere. They had been given another body. They appeared bodily 
even though they had been dead for hundreds of years up to this point, that they had a body that they were existing in. Yes, it was a spiritual body, but it was a body, okay? And second, did you note the words that were used to describe those men in the condition they were in? It says they appeared in a glorious condition, if you will. They, they appeared in great splendor. These men had been dead for hundreds of years, been in heaven for hundreds of years. Now, from the time that they passed to the time they appeared with Jesus, and yet the thing that struck the disciples when they saw Moses and Elijah was, wow, those guys look good. They look really good for being dead and being as old as they are. I want to encourage you today. If you have a family member or a friend like I do in heaven, they are in a most glorious place in a most glorious condition. They look good. If you were able to see them today, you'd be just like, wow, did they, they never looked better. They're being well taken care of, and God has made sure that as soon as they left this earth, that he had another body prepared for them and that they have now been made into this glorious condition that Moses and Elijah appeared in when they appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want us to note here is when you come to this last half of chapter 9, as I'm sure you got as you were reading with me through this passage, the disciples just weren't quite aligned with Jesus. They just weren't on the same page with him here, right? They, they kept making all these missteps. They, they kept sort of failing. And yet Jesus never says, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with you guys. No, because Jesus is never done with us as long as we're willing to walk with him. No matter how many times we have not aligned ourselves or we've made missteps or we've failed or haven't gotten something right, as long as we don't walk away from Jesus, Jesus is never going to walk away from us. And he will continue to be patient and continue to work with us and train us and teach us as long as we are willing to walk with him. Because remember, these same men that had made all these missteps and weren't quite aligned with Jesus and weren't on the same page with Jesus now are the same people that were part of the group in the book of Acts that turned the world upside down. They just needed some more time. And Jesus is ultimately patient with us. As long as we are willing to follow him, he will always work with us, no matter how many mistakes we make and how long it takes us to get there. I hope that will encourage you. Because let's just go down through this and be reminded of some of the missteps and lack of alignment. First of all, you've got Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration who's like, 
Jesus, let's build shelters for every one of you. And the Bible says he didn't really know what he was talking about there. That really wasn't what God's plan was for that particular incident. Then you come down to the man who's got this demon-possessed child. And he brings him to Jesus and he begs Jesus, Jesus, would you please turn your attention to my son and give him some special attention? Because, Lord, he's being tormented and tortured by this demon. And he says, I went to your disciples. I asked them to cast him out first. And they could not. Why is that significant? Because back in chapter 9, verse 1, if you go back there just for a second, you'll notice from last week that Jesus had already given his disciples power to cast out what? All demons. All demons. So why were they able to do it before and not now? Something was missing there, right? And so Jesus steps in and he takes care of the situation. Then you come over to the fact that he's looking at these men and he says, I need you to hear what I'm about to say. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be rejected. And the Bible says they just couldn't grasp it. They, they just couldn't wrap their minds around it. They could not reconcile in their minds that their Messiah, you know, how was he going to carry out what they thought was the plan and purpose of God for him on earth if he was rejected and betrayed? That just didn't make any sense at all. And then the Bible says that they were too afraid to even ask. So just they weren't just getting it, right? Then you come down to the fact that they're starting to argue between themselves about which one's the greatest. I mean, all Jesus would have had to do, again, showing even Jesus' humility, is to step forward and say, well, guys, it's pretty obvious I'm the greatest, because he is. But he doesn't do that, does he? No. He takes a little child, puts the child by him, and wants to teach them something. And here's what he wants to teach them. He says, first of all, if you receive me like this little child has, then you receive my father and the one who sent me. And, and then he said, oh, and by the way, the least, which this child would have been considered the least in that society, the least is the greatest. Jesus is basically teaching his disciples this. First of all, everyone has great worth and value to God. Everyone. There is no human being that does not have great worth and value to God, including all of you. Second, if the least is the greatest, then that means that everyone is great and the search for greatness is unnecessary. Jesus sort of just shuts everything down right there. But again, they didn't get it. So their insecurity, which was leading to their striving to argue about who's the greatest, also led to exclusivity, because in the very next part of the passage, it says that John approaches Jesus and says, Master, 
You know, these people were casting out demons, but they're not part of our little group. So I wanted to try to stop them. And Jesus is like, no. If, if they're doing the will of God, just because they're not part of our little group doesn't mean that it's wrong. I've got things going in all places, and I'm a God that's working in uh, uh, many, many different places and with many, many different people and many, many different groups. And just because they're not part of our little group doesn't mean that they're wrong. If they're not against us, then they're for us. Don't try to stop them, support them. So again, you, you can see this. And then, this is maybe my favorite one. They're going through the Samaritan village. The Samaritans don't want any parts of Jesus because he's not interested in just hanging there. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And so they reject him. And, Peter, or, and James and John, the sons of thunder, basically say to Jesus, well, Jesus, let's just call down fire from heaven and consume them. Now think about what they're saying there. They truly believe that they've got the power through Jesus to be able to call fire down from heaven and consume people. That's pretty impressive. But the fact that they wanted to do that shows, first of all, a lack of patience with other people on their part and the fact that, again, they've not understood that there is a time and place for judgment in God's program, but this is not the time or place for judgment. Judgment is going to fall upon Jesus during this time. Jesus is going to take the judgment of the world that we were due. And he's going to die in all of our places. That's the judgment that's going to happen now. There is a judgment that's coming, but that's not the judgment that's there now. And so they just didn't get it. So there's all these things that they are showing that they're just not there yet in the process of being fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus sort of talks about that in the very last verse of chapter 9. That word fit means to be ready for what it is required to be one of his disciples, to be up to par, as we would say, and they're not yet. But what I want us to see as far as the encouraging part of this is Jesus doesn't get tired ever of working with these people no matter how many missteps, how many failures, how long that they aren't aligned with him, how long they're not on the same page with him. He never walks away from them and he won't walk away from us either. All he cares about is that you and I are willing to walk with him every day as a disciple. We're going to make mistakes. We're not always going to get it right. There are going to be times where we're not aligned with God, where we're making missteps, where we're not on the same page with God. But as long as we keep walking with Jesus, we can end up at the same place that these followers ended up, and that was that they grew into and became a dynamic force that God could use to change the world because they hung in there 
and they didn't get so discouraged and so down on themselves or allow their spiritual enemy to cause them to feel defeated that they just threw up their hands and gave up because Jesus will never give up on us. And you see that illustrated throughout the story of Jesus. Then I want to go to the third thing in this passage. And that is, I want you to see this morning that there are two essential qualities that all disciples need. And they basically bookend this passage of Scripture. There's one at the beginning, and there's one at the end. What are those essential qualities that every disciple needs? Well, let's go back to Jesus being transformed on that mountain. The Bible says he took Peter, James, and John with him up to the mountain and that he was praying, which again shows he was modeling for his disciples the importance and priority of prayer. He wasn't just teaching them about prayer, he was doing it. That's one of the things that you and I need to do. If we're going to be leaders of others, we can't just talk the talk. We've got to walk the walk. We've got to be doing the things that we're telling others to do as well. That was Jesus. But in all that they experienced, the Bible says basically that these disciples were given a glimpse of God's glory. And I say a glimpse because if Jesus would have, would have expressed his full glory, they would have been vaporized because no one can see the full glory of God in that state and live. He just gave them a glimpse of his glory. In fact, the word transformed is where we get our English word metamorphosis from. He literally was changed or transformed or transfigured. In a sense, his appearance on that mountain aligned with his deity. His humanity for a few split seconds aligned with his deity. And the disciples, those three, could see a glimpse of his glory. And they were so blown away by it. And the Bible tells us that, you know, Moses and Elijah were speaking to him about his departure that would be carried out in Jerusalem. The word departure is the word exodus, a word we're familiar with on Wednesday night because we're studying the book of Exodus. It means that they were talking about his death that was coming up in Jerusalem, you see. And yet in all of this, it says that a cloud, the Shekinah glory uh, of God sort of enveloped all of them and pulled them in and they were a little freaked out about it. But then they heard this voice from heaven and it was the voice of God the Father. And what did God the Father say? Of all the things that he could have said to those men on that mountain after they saw a glimpse of the glory of his son, what is it that the Father wanted them to get as his disciples? This is my beloved son, my chosen one. And then don't miss these next three words. What? Listen to him. Listen to him. Pay careful attention to everything Jesus tells you 
and learn from him. Listen. It is the indispensable, essential quality of a disciple. We need to be good listeners. I'm going to say this because I'm including myself in this statement. I think all of us as human beings think we're better listeners than we really are. I think most of us are not very good at listening, which is one of the challenges we have then at being a disciple. Because according to God the Father, the first essential quality of being a disciple is to learn to listen. Listen to God's Son. Pay careful attention to everything he's telling us and learn from him. In fact, Jesus even picks up on this in verse 44 before he tells his followers something very important about his upcoming rejection and betrayal at Jerusalem. He says, take these words of mine to heart. Let them sink down deep into your heart and and find a permanent home. That's what Jesus is saying. We talked about that Wednesday night because we're studying a book of the Bible where there's a man named Pharaoh who has a very hard heart and who will not allow God to speak into his heart and for it to penetrate. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Guys, I need you to have a heart that the soil of your heart is is plowed up and to where what I am saying sinks down deep and finds a permanent home. I need you to get this because the first indispensable quality of a disciple is learning to listen. You and I, as we follow Jesus we need to keep improving and growing in our being able to listen to Jesus, to be able to be dialed into his voice, hear what he's telling us, find out what he's communicating to us, learn from him every day. You know, you and I can learn from Jesus every single day of our life if we're walking with him, if we're walking with him. That's the first. The second indispensable essential quality is found in verses 57 through 62. Three times in this passage, the word follow is used. I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you. And Jesus even says, follow me in the middle of that passage. And it's something that Jesus has been saying to all those who he wants to be his disciples. From the very beginning, when he met those fishermen on the side of the lake, he said to them, Follow me. And notice, he didn't say, follow a system, follow a set of rules, follow a church hierarchy, uh, follow a pastor, follow... No, he said, follow me. Follow me. Following. Here again, I want to say this. I think all of us as human beings think we're probably better followers than we really are. Most of us have a hard time following. We want to be in control. We want to be the leader. 
We don't want to follow God or follow others. We have a really hard time with that. And yet, listening and following, the two indispensable qualities of being a disciple. You and I, as we grow as disciples, need to be growing in those areas, growing in our listening, growing in our following. Because that's what really enables us to get even closer to Jesus every day and finding out what's his heart and what's he thinking, what's he doing. But there's one more thing I want to talk about. You know, It's not that seeing is not important. Seeing is huge in the Bible. There are so many verses about making sure that we keep our focus and and that we're seeing God. But I want us to remember that that's more from a spiritual vision standpoint than a physical seeing. For this reason. You'll notice in the passage where Jesus is transformed before his disciples that the Bible says they saw his glory. They saw his glory. And I'm sure that that was something that made an impression upon them for the rest of their life. In fact, I know it did because Peter wrote about it in First and Second Peter. He never got over that he saw the glory of God. But you know what? Seeing can also be deceiving, which is why God tells us in his word that we are to not walk by sight, but we are to walk by faith. And that faith comes by what? Hearing, listening to the word of God. Listening and following. Again, Seeing is of great value, especially when it comes to finding assurance and and affirmation and all of that. God needs our eyes to be in the right place, you see. But may I remind all of us that, again, even in our study on Wednesday night in the book of Exodus, and I pointed this out last Wednesday, there may have been no other generation who's ever existed on earth who saw more displays of God's glory and power than the generation that he delivered out of Egypt. They saw all the plagues that God did upon the Egyptians and saw all the protection that God gave them in Goshen. They saw God leading them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. They saw that. They saw the Red Sea parted, and they saw themselves walk across the sea on dry ground. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Yet in spite of all that they saw, they may have been the most unbelieving generation that's ever existed because they died in the wilderness Because in spite of all that they saw, it never birthed or developed faith. Because that's not how God works. 
God doesn't work. And that's why when I hear even Christians say, oh, I wish God would show up more and show me more. I wish I could see more. No, no, no. Listen and follow. Listen and follow. Because it's not in seeing that we believe. It's in listening and following that our faith is birthed and that our faith in him is developed. And let me share with you this then one more thing from this passage that enforces that and reinforces that. Why is Jesus being so, you know, passionate about wanting these folks to get it, to, to, to listen to him and, and to follow him, and why he even expresses frustration when they cannot, you know, cast this demon out of this man's child. And he, and he talks about them being an unbeliever. He's not addressing that to the crowd in general. I think he's addressing that to his disciples. He's saying, man, how much longer, you know, I mean, he does get frustrated, yes, in his humanity, but he's still hung in there with them because he wanted them to not just follow what they were seeing, because that would only take them so far. He wanted them to listen and to follow him. That would be what sustained them. Because remember, what's Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking about on the mountain? They're talking about his departure, his death at Jerusalem. And Jesus wanted his followers to be so committed and devoted to following him that they would be able to say with confidence and conviction that our Jesus is enough even on the night in which he was arrested. And you sort of get a glimpse of that when Jesus sort of, you know, pushed back those that were arresting him and they fell to the ground and then he allowed them to get up again. He was showing them, I'm still enough. I'm still in control, even though it may seem like I'm losing here because I'm being arrested. He wanted his followers to know that he was enough for them when they would see him be beaten, when they would see him have that crown of thorns placed upon his head. That he was enough for them when they would see his beard being pulled out. That he was enough for them when he was being scourged and his back was being ripped apart. That he was enough for them when they would see that they were having him carry a cross to Golgotha that he was still enough for them when they would see him being nailed to that cross and lifted up for all to see. That he was enough for them when he was hanging there and he was bleeding and he was dying. And that he was even enough for them when he cried out, it is finished. Because notice, he didn't say he's finished. He said it is finished meaning the plan and purpose of God for which I came for. I have now completed it. I have now accomplished it. The way for men and women to be saved is now open. Jesus is never finished. No matter what it looks like, no matter what we are seeing, 
And he wants us as his disciples today to translate that into our everyday lives. That it's not just what we see. That sometimes we look at our circumstances or what's going on in our country or the world or all these things and somehow we begin to conclude that somehow Jesus isn't enough. And Jesus wants us to listen to him and follow him and realize no matter what we're going through or what it looks like as far as our eyes can see, he's always enough. And he always will be enough. But we've got to listen and we've got to follow. Because sometimes what we are seeing seems contradictory to that truth that Jesus is enough or that Jesus is in control. And that's why even Jesus spends so much time in that last part of this passage talking about how being a disciple takes focused commitment and, let's say it, discipline, which is very similar to the word disciple. All these men came to him and said, oh, we'll follow you, Jesus. And Jesus like, sure, are you sure? Because it's not going to be easy. Uh, I never promised you as a disciple an easy life. You, you sure you're ready for this? You're, you're sure, you know, you're up to par for what being a disciple of mine is going to require? Because there's always going to be distractions. There's always going to be diversions. There's always going to be reasons to delay, which is what he encountered in that passage. Oh, Jesus, I'll follow you, but, you know, at some point I'm going to have to go and bury my father. And Jesus like, there's always going to be something to say, well, I should be doing this. And then, well, I'll follow you, but I got to say goodbye to my family. No, 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 no. Jesus like, focused commitment and discipline. You will never be a disciple unless you and I realize that there will always be delays, there will always be diversions, there will always be distractions that come up on the path of discipleship, and we've just got to stay locked in to listening and following Jesus no matter what the delays, what the distractions, and what the diversions are. It takes focused commitment. Because it's not always about what we see. It's about what we've listened to and learned, and it's about us following the Lord. Because, oh, do we need him? Do we need him? And the only way we're going to get through this life and prosper and find out who we, he created us to be and make a huge difference in this world is by being willing to be a disciple. But the only way we can do that is by totally depending and relying upon him every single day. That's what it takes. Are we willing to lay it all aside and follow Jesus and listen to him? I'm going to ask Nicole and the worship team to come. I want us to have some Just time to let some stuff sink in. I know I've thrown a lot at you today. I'm just hoping that some of it 
if any of it was beneficial. But I know this. I know God is calling us like he did in, while he was here on earth to be his disciples. That's what he's doing. And he's looking for those of us who are willing to say, yes, Jesus, I'll be your disciple. Would you stand? Father, I pray today that all of us, God, would have the strength and the courage and the commitment to you to say no to the delays and diversions and distractions, God, that can always come up in our life. There's always something. There will always be something, God, out there that could pull us away from our focused commitment. But God, if we're going to be a disciple, that's what we need. We need focus, commitment, and discipline. We need to, Lord, more than anything else, listen to you and follow you every single day. Because some days, Lord, just like it was with your own disciples, it's going to look bad. It's going to look bleak. It's, it's, it's going to be difficult from us looking around and seeing the situation or the circumstances. But God, you didn't tell us that it's through our sight. We walk by faith. And faith comes by hearing, hearing your word. So, Lord, I pray today that all of us would dedicate and rededicate ourselves, Lord, to following you with everything we've got. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.